lived in Ontario, and, and uh, they ended up moving across the country to BC, where they moved, uh, dropped kind of everything that was going on in their lives there, and, and, and invested in this community. So they care about our city, like you care about your city. Um, they uh, have roots in this town. Um, actually, my roots with Ken and Carolyn go back 30 years uh, to high school. Uh, my last year of high school, Ken was my PE teacher. And uh, I, so I have him to blame for my really incredible physique. I look at where I am today, and I, I think it all goes back to Ken. He didn't do enough, obviously, did he? Just failed. Um, played volleyball with him. He, he, he gave me the fishing award, I think, because uh, I was always in the net. I'd get tangled up in the net at the front. It was not, it was not a pretty sight. Um, he became a mentor of mine. He, he became a youth, uh, Carolyn and, and Ken uh, served as youth pastors there, and, and uh, that was when Ken became a mentor specifically in my life, and they, we've journeyed with them for a long time. In fact, I shared the story a few weeks ago about how Angel and I were called to come from Ontario to here, and I, I, let, me, let me give you that quick story. They were intricately involved in that because for about six, eight months a year, Angel and I were having this draw, like a magnetic pull by God, to move here. Vancouver was on our brains, and we couldn't understand why. I mean, once you move here, you realize it's the promised land. But before you get there and you live in Ontario, I mean, if you grow up in Ontario, you think Toronto is the center of the planet. Isn't isn't that kind of true? It's a little bit true. And that's why we all love Toronto so much. Um, and uh, anyway, when we moved across the country after we got married, uh, we, we, they confessed, Ken and Carolyn confessed, that as part of this little church plant with Dave and Irene Barker, who are here this morning, um, Dave and Irene, also uh, founding elders, pastor of, of Hillside here, great to have you guys, um, we found out that Ken and Carolyn had been, been meeting and having a prayer meeting every, every week in their home, praying that God would send people from across the country to join this church plant, and for a year, they prayed for Angel and I by name. And so here we're getting the sense of this pull to Vancouver. We don't know why. And then we find out our friends are praying for us and asking that God would send us here. So whenever we don't like Vancouver and those rainy falls, we blame you too. I think God was in it, I think. But uh, we're, we're going to talk this morning about the priority of mission, how God love, is a missionary God, and he's all about propelling us into the world, and I'm excited to have an opportunity to interview these guys as they share what that looks like. Um, God sends real people, flesh and blood. He did it uh, with Jesus. God became flesh and moved into our neighborhood, into our planet, and then he takes us, and we get the message somehow of Jesus and his love, and then um, he sends us out. And so you're sent you're sent whether you know it or not. If you're a Christian, you're a sent one, um, sent into the world. And sometimes he sends people farther, and we're going to actually ask them about that. So let's, uh, can we give them a, a, a huge welcome, outside welcome this morning? So the deal is I get to ask you anything this morning, and you have to answer. So this could be good. Uh, do you ever want to, you know, your high school teacher, you wanted to put them on the spot? This is my chance. Um, tell, tell me, guys, how long have you been married? Oh, you want a microphone? Yeah, that's great. 
you're allowed. The imaginary microphone was interesting there. Thank you. How long have you been married? We will celebrate 31 years this July. 31 years. Is it, is it true that you took your wife hitchhiking on your wedding? Or your honeymoon, I should say. Hitchhiking. Hitchhiking, yes. Yeah, we flew out to Vancouver. Vancouver has been a repetitive theme in our lives from uh, Toronto. And, uh, yeah, went up the coast and over on the island, hitchhiked, did the West Coast Trail. For, uh, yeah, had a lot of fun just living day to day. There was a bus strike. That's why we hitchhiked. Sure, sure, a bus strike. Yes, I mean, uh, any of you uh, women out there uh, disappointed that your partner did not take you on the West Coast Trail for your honeymoon? I mean, wow. Where did, where did hotel, you guys... The hotel is a whole lot more, <laughs> less expensive. That's right. Uh, where did you two meet? We met at Teachers College in Kingston. Uh, we were on an outdoor ed field trip. I met him on the bus one afternoon, and the next morning we met at the InterVarsity Christian Fellowship prayer meeting. And I said, wow, this guy's a Christian. It was more like, you're a Christian? <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell us about you. you got two lovely daughters. Tell us about your girls. Uh, Charity's 27 years old and married almost two years ago. Uh, gentleman Ben. And uh, they live 40 minutes uh, away from us, uh, away from Toronto, north, north of Toronto. And then our younger daughter is 25 and uh, lives in Toronto, about 40 minutes to the south of us. So we see them on a frequent basis. And then we have two Angolan uh, spiritual daughters that lived with us for over four years in Portugal, who we still stay in touch with. And they are 29 now and still serving Jesus. Wow. That's great. That's fantastic. Um, the rumor is that missionaries don't know how to have fun. I know that's not true. Um, what do you guys do for fun? We love to enjoy God's creation, so we love to hike. We've been on a few hikes since we've been here, hiking in the, the Vancouver Mountains. And uh, we're going biking in, um, to PEI this summer for holidays, so we just love to enjoy God's creation. No more hitchhiking. That sounds like fun, too. Um, Ken, uh, interesting story I've heard before you tell uh, about an outhouse. Well, tell us your outhouse story. Everyone, anyone else have a good outhouse story? Okay, well, we'll, we'll share those later over coffee. But <laughs> Ken, tell us your outhouse story. Outhouse story. Uh, we took holidays in northern Ontario and can't go into all the details, but uh, the outhouse it caught on fire. And uh, I thought it was a moose coming through the bush because of all the noise, but it turned out to be just the outhouse on fire. And so we uh, threw snow against it because it was in the wintertime, and we were able to save the bench uh, to still be able to use it because it was on our first day of our holidays, so we still at least had the bench after. Has anyone else burned down a, a, an outhouse before? I think that's, uh, that's a first. Uh, what, what? You burned down an outhouse? Okay, all right. We got outhouse stories <laughs> happening after, okay? Tell me your outhouse story. All right. Um, you, you had an instrumental role in the birthing and the origins of this church. Tell me how, uh, t tell me again, I alluded to it, how you ended up in Coquitlam. Uh, Carolyn and I both uh, calling us to serve him anywhere uh, in our relationship together. We talked about that before we decided to become engaged. And so... Uh, we just followed that step by step as we went through various phases in our life. And so the phase to come to Coquitlam was when we were in Sarnia and the missionary church at that time 
uh, their logo was from sea to sea, and there was no missionary church in Vancouver. And so that bugged a few of our leaders. Uh, mm. I think Dave may, maybe was part of that, uh, that, that quandary in our denomination that uh, they wanted to try to see if mm. we could start a church in Vancouver. And so uh, we were finishing our ministry in Sarnia just as the team was launching, and uh, met Dave and Irene and, and joined them and one other couple. So there's three core couples. And then Derwin and a whole bunch of other couples joined the team that... Uh, to fill it out, and so that's how we ended up here. Wow, that's cool, very cool. Um, you guys both have the distinction of being the first uh, hillside missionaries, uh, raised up kind of from within, and, and uh, many years ago, early in our history, as, a, as, a, as two churches becoming one, Evergreen and, and Austin Avenue Chapel, um, but you're, you were the first. So tell us, how did, how did that emerge? Um, so, yes, as the church began to be established, we, we had met at the Lincoln Center, and it was a small church plant, and then as we merged with <clears throat> with uh, this church, you know, we saw the Lord raising up leadership, and this Holy Spirit began to, to prompt us again to say, Lord, is this our mission field, or do you have something else? And we, we prayerfully submitted our lives in front of the, the elders, and... Uh, at that time, Dave was just sharing, we're staying with them, and they, Dave was just sharing the other night that, that they didn't feel a sense to release us yet, that we, he sensed that there was still something for us to do. But as they prayed and we prayed, um, the Lord uh, gave us a release, and uh, we had submitted our, our, our lives to the missionary church, the World Partners, and uh, that's the missionary wing of our church. And they presented us the opportunity to go to Portugal, and we asked the Lord to uh, to show us a team that were prayer warriors that were were new about spiritual warfare and that were 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 actually praying together and so as we met with the team over the phone we sensed the lord calling us to portugal and we knew that there was good leadership in place as we left at my uh, let me let me give in a little aside to that story um at my 40th birthday party which seems like just like months ago months ago, I'm sure, a few years back, Dave, Dave uh, shared a little speech, and he said, uh, he said how Ken was his, he had picked Ken in his mind as being his successor as lead pastor here at Hillside, and, and how that was his choice. Ken was his number one, and I was the number two, but it seemed like God's choice was that I was the number one, and uh, Dave said he was okay with that finally. <laughs> Thanks, brother. Yeah, I'm going to turn my back on that side of the congregation here for the rest of the morning. I know, we love you too, David. Um, sometimes God's, God has other plans in store, right? Uh, Ken and Carolyn, you have 20 plus years of history uh, and connection to this church. Tell any, any observations for us this morning. Great to have your kind of perspective. Right. Uh, I've uh, I have been impressed with this congregation from the beginning that it was a very welcoming place even when we were small in number and it c- has continued to be that uh, welcoming community uh, and even though we were away for years and we come back uh, the way people embrace us, engage with us, talk with us just makes us feel like uh, this is uh, still uh, a home. So I think that's uh, yeah. part of the DNA of this church that makes it uh, special. That's great. Amen. 
And just to see the children, the numbers of children here. I, I was involved in children's ministry when, when we, back in the day, and I think it's quadrupled since we've been here. So that's wonderful. And then the multicultural aspect is just amazing. And do we have time to, to have the, sure. any yeah. people have been, that have been born outside of Canada stand up? We'd just love to see so how many born, people. If you're born outside of Canada, outside of Canada. If, you weren't, if you're not yes. a native-born Canadian, wow. stand up right now. Isn't that amazing? Wow. Wow. That's fantastic. That just shows the, the love and acceptance that this congregation it, it displays. So that's wonderful. That's very, very, very cool. Um, you, you had a very cool, uh, what, 13 years working in Portugal. Uh, you've moved on to something else. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, could tell us about sort of a person that you got connected to in your ministry and, and how you journeyed with that person in Portugal, just as an example of your ministry. Uh, yeah. You've gone dead. There we go. Uh, when we uh, were learning Portuguese, I was a part-time runner at the time, and our daughter said to us, uh, "We should pray for Daddy to get find a running partner." And so soon afterwards, Carolyn discovered a, a group of gentlemen running past Charity's piano lesson uh, location. And so she encouraged me to go find this group. And I did that and met one gentleman there named Telmu. He was 19 at the time. And within the next few months after that, Telmu, uh, whom was living with his grandparents and mom and his sister, uh, both grandparents and mom died within very few months afterwards. So Talmud was left at the age of 19, 20 to raise his uh, 14, 15-year-old sister. And so uh, because of our friendship was in the initial stages, he then I kind of became friend, uh, father figure, and then journeyed with him as a, as a runner and as a teammate and also as a, as a father figure. And Talmud uh, accepted Jesus uh, in that journey. Mm. And I can remember one time uh, we were in a restaurant having a meal together, there was some leftover uh, wine and bread on the table. And I said, Talmud, you know that we can celebrate Jesus' presence right here at this table? And he said, no, I never realized that. So we uh, shared communion there in the restaurant. And he said, wow, Jesus is that present? And I said, yes. And so that was one of the amazing experiences with Talmud. Talmud visited us here in Canada, came and ran in a race with me one time. He took the trophy home, uh, and uh, Telmo likes Canada, and uh, he has uh, still stayed in touch, and we're still tracking with him. That's very cool. That's very cool. Tal- coolest name ever. Um, what are some of the, the challenges, guys, uh, the blessings and challenges of being a cross-cultural worker? Mm-hmm. Seems significant. You know, some of the blessings have been the, just the, the numbers of things that we learned from the Portuguese. You know, as missionaries, sometimes you think you're going to, to you know, just to, to save them. And, but the, we learned so much from, from them. We learned the importance of family. We learned um, just their, their care for people and the time that they spend. You know, they have long lunches and long dinners because relationships are so important. And so we really learned a lot from the Portuguese people. We also learned to trust the blessing of being cross-cultural workers, learning to trust God for what looks impossible. And, you know, learning another language, 
I'm sure many people here have learned another language, but for us it looked like way over our heads. But God in his grace and mercy showed us that that phase of learning language is so important um, as we go into a culture that we don't know how to speak. We don't know how to share all our, our earthly wisdom because we need to, to have that wisdom in light of the culture. So we need to be, be quiet for the first year or two <laughs> so that we can learn the culture and, and be culturally appropriate with the people. God also blessed us by enlarging our, our view of family and he allowed us to have two Angolan girls come in live with us for four years and that was such a blessing in our lives and in our daughter's lives and we grew and learned so much about his love for the world and, and for these girls who came to know the Lord through our family. Yeah, so. That's fantastic. Yeah, one of uh, my blessings was just seeing how God would use my background to engage a new culture. Sometimes the things you think you've learned in your own culture won't be useful in another culture. But uh, I haven't mentioned that my training in university was physical education. So then to see God using my running to engage the community there ended up as a coach in the village we were trying to reach. And uh, a whole bunch of those components just fell in place. People coming to ask us to do that rather than than doing that uh, just on our own initiative. Uh, some of the challenges, though, are the distance from family, as many people know, that are born outside of Canada and uh, have to deal with when your family is sick in another country and how to uh, deal with that emotionally when you want to be there and you're not able to, to engage. My father passed away when, uh, and became ill when we were away in Portugal, and so those events are, are really uh, challenges and a way to learn to, to hang on to Jesus. He becomes your core family. And so, so that's the, the benefit of the, of the loss of close family members. That's cool. Um, God has brought you back to Canada. You're now working in Ontario in a ministry. Um, and it's very different than what you did before. But all that you did before equipped you very well for what you're doing now. Tell us about now, what you're doing now. It's pretty, I, I find it pretty exciting. Yeah, when we were deciding to go back to Canada because my mom's health started to fail was one of the major reasons for coming back. Uh, and in that transition, we weren't sure what we were going to be doing. And this was a step, faith step for us to come back to Canada, probably even more difficult than, than making the faith step to go towards Portugal. And in that faith step, someone handed us a job description for someone look, for mission prep, looking for a director to do a missions training program. And so with our teaching background, our cross-cultural experience, it seemed like a, a really great fit. So our program has two uh, branches to it. One is a longer-term training program, uh, eight months, four months of training in Toronto. The students, mostly college-age students, working in an ethnic church, studying missions, and then going across culturally for three months to practice some of those things that they've learned. That's sort of the long-term uh, training program. The other one is a two-week intensive courses, and that's uh, for missionaries already approved by agencies. They already know which countries they're going to, and so we help do cross-cultural training and uh, interpersonal relationship training and spiritual formation for how that looks like, what that might look like when you go to another country. And so we do that for both the United States and Canadians, Americans and Canadians, Last year, we had about 120 people that came to us during, wow. during the year to be a part of that. Wow. Um, 
the other night at our in, when they had an information meeting here at the church, uh, Carolyn, you were you were describing how God doesn't just send single people or couples; He sometimes sends families overseas. And uh, it's one thing for the adults to say we're going. Can you imagine what it's like for the kids? And uh, tell us about your work with kids. You do you do a, you have a program designed to help children trans- make the transition. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so we try to give children words to be able to express their emotions as they go. And so, you know, sometimes we, we had a 12-year-old boy last summer who wasn't on board with going. And, and um, yeah, we, we talk about the transition phases. You know, we're settled, and then when we get the call to go, there's an unsettling stage, and then there's chaos. And so we do, we do a transition bridge with the kids where we, we, uh, <laughs> we set up these chairs, and the first chair is stable, the second chair is, <clears throat> is a little wiggly, so it's, it's getting a little unstable. And then we have these two big exercise balls that we put together, and that's the chaos stage where you can't do it on your own. You have to ask for help. And we talk about how God has put us in, in a family, a church family, where we can reach out and ask for prayer and for help. And that gets us through that chaos stage to then resettle when you're in your new country and then the stabilizing, settling phase. So we bring the parents in to see the kids do this transition bridge so that when they're on the field, they have words to be able to express it, and they've gone through it practically in our program so that they can know that the, you know, the stability will come. So we are excited that we can um, words to the children to be able to know what they're going to experience and how to express themselves. Tell us uh, why you think this is so important. I mean, somebody feels called to go across the world, why is what you do so important, in, uh, potentially, in their journey? I went totally off script on purpose. The question's not here. <laughs> a little bit of chaos. Right. Just throwing in a little bit of chaos for you, or a wobbly chair at least. Um, yeah, the statistics show that uh, longevity on the field of people uh, staying there and being successful is related significantly to pre-field training. And so preparing people these days, the world is becoming more and more bizarre. Has anyone else noticed that? Uh, even, even some of the places that we consider safe. For example, we sent uh, the girl to Jordan that Carolyn just mentioned. So she's there, and now ISIS does that horrible uh, torture of the Jordanian pilot when she's there and the whole country is upside down because of the anger against what's taken place. And so missionaries, not just because of the nature of taking the message there, they're just living in places that are often very volatile. And so preparing them for the eventuality of those things, uh, it just really makes that important. Secondly, one number one mistake that missionaries make when they go is that you are so a much a part of doing something. I'm going there to do this and do that, and people ask you, what are you going to do? But we show right from the very beginning that the best thing a missionary can do is be connected to Jesus. Because the greatest message you're going to take is who you are. You can have all the right information, but if you don't show love and compassion to your family, if you are not full of joy all those components, then you're, you're taking bad seed. You're, you're communicating the wrong way. Wow. That's awesome. Carol, Carolyn, 
is God still calling people to go? I mean, you're seeing, you're, you're obviously training people, 120 last year. What are you seeing in, in terms of this kind of movement? Yeah, we're, we're still excited about how God is still calling people, calling people that are, are giving up a lot. They're, they're ready to, to sacrifice what this world has to offer and, and pick up their families and, and go. And we see the passion when they come. We see their, their fears, and we, it's a blessing for us to be able to, get, to share the things that we went through and the, and the struggles and how the Lord has provided, constantly provides. So, yes, the Lord definitely still is calling people today. Yeah, amen. Um, we get our direction as a church, uh, our kind of instructions as to what we are and what we do from, the, from Scripture, from the Bible. And, uh, uh, Ken, would you just give us kind of a brief sort of overview of, of uh, a biblical sort of perspective on mission from Scripture? Mm. Yeah, often we justify our jobs or our call to missions, starting with Jesus' command, go and make disciples of all nations. But really the, the command and the message starts way back in Genesis chapter 12 when God called Abraham and he says, I'll make you a blessing to all nations. But the word for nations is actually a Hebrew word that says ethnia or to ethnic peoples, telling uh, that the blessing needs to go to all ethnic peoples, not to just the Jewish nation that uh, God was beginning to establish in Abraham. And then as we march through Scripture, we start to see that theme being repeated again and again and again. Even Psalm, in the Psalms, we see the multiple nations' emphasis coming out. And we're going to show a video at the end on Psalm 67, where David really captured the idea of saying, all the nations need to be praising him, and the blessing of Abraham is for all peoples. And then as we go through Scripture, we see that it repeated through the minor prophets, which sometimes we think are little books that don't have much to say, but they, they are full of this God speaking to all the nations. Mm. And, then, and then the wonderful life of Jesus. I don't think we emphasize enough that even though Jesus was Jewish, that he was also of mixed race. He had a Moabite Moabite grandmother, a Hittite grandmother. Other nations were woven into his DNA. So when he was crucified on that cross, it wasn't just for the Jewish nation. It was for people of all nations. And then finally, the book of Revelation, chapter 7, that all nations and all tribes worshiping around the throne. It's a picture of every color, every tongue that's there, and it's a wonderful message. And I believe it's the major theme right from Genesis to Revelation that we uh, just need to keep focusing on. Amen. Amen. That's good. Um, What are you learning about mission as you experience it here in Canada and prepare people for Mm. for other cultures? Yeah, mission is changing. There, There are things happening in the world. One of the neat things is the center of Christianity used to be in the northern part of the equator. But now... Christianity is becoming a southern equator focus. So Christianity is is having a greater awareness of what suffering looks like, unlike what is perhaps represented in the northern part of the globe. People in the Middle East that really pay the cost of identifying with Jesus. That is uh, also true in China and India. There's so many places where that's uh, impacting. 
that's some of the things happening globally. What is incredible that's happening in Toronto is an organization called Move-In. Um, it comes from the verse that you quoted earlier about Jesus moved into the neighborhood. Mm. This organization has taken that and challenged young adults and anybody that will listen to the message just to move in and live your life as, an un, as a non-professional missionary. Just let your light shine. You only need to commit to two things. One is that you'll pray for your neighbors and that you'll do it with other people that are Christians in your neighborhood too. They primarily focus on apartment buildings, high-density uh, New Canadian presence, and high-density poverty. And so this organization, in just six years, has between 180 and 200 people in the greater Toronto area, wow. some in Chicago, Los Angeles, London, England, Germany. And they're sending their first missionary from, from Toronto, a couple and their young baby, to live in a slum in, uh, I'm not even supposed to say where, but I'll say, you know, Indonesia type of area, uh, to, to live as light in the, in the 1%, bottom 1% of that culture to spread the good news. Wow. Wow, that's awesome. Very good. They're a great organization. Um, we're going to wrap up and, and see a video in a couple of minutes, but uh, any challenge for us as a church as we seek to do good in our world? Yeah, in yeah, a few words, I would say, yeah, keep doing what you're doing, Hillside. Uh, the money you raised uh, for reaching out locally is fantastic really proud of what I'm hearing that focus of, of reaching your neighborhood uh, but never forget that uh, that Jesus wanted us to meet, meet reach our Jerusalem our Judea our Samaria and the outermost regions of the earth not to neglect one for the other to keep a balance in doing all that together and 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 second challenge is don't give all that job to a mission agency to do that out there thing uh, still be very active with those that you're sending in caring and challenging and being aware of what they're going through and uh, just really be good caregivers of mm, them. Mm. And, and we appreciate the things you've done for us. And uh, just this past week, some people probably don't know, but Hillside paid for us to go to Barnabas for the leadership uh, retreat uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And that was a real refreshment for our souls. And uh, thank you very much for that. You're welcome. That, that was great to be with you there. Um, these guys are awesome. Let's give them a uh, hand this morning. Yeah, the Lord.